so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Coming up later, what do you make? Well, I need to talk to you about that and how that works over your working lifetime. So I have been tied up in knots about the extremely long vehicle loans that Americans are taking out. That when people are buying a vehicle, it's not unusual that people take out a loan as long as, in many cases, six or seven years, 72, 84 months. Think of it, six or seven years. I know there are people who think my answer to this is ridiculous, but my answer is, You never take out a loan longer than 42 months. If you do, it means you're buying more vehicle than your budget can handle. Because if you can't afford the payment at 42 months, it means you need to buy a cheaper vehicle. You may not want to hear that, but listen to this. The number of Americans with an outstanding vehicle loan has doubled in roughly the last 15 years. Because... What people used to do is they take out a relatively short loan and it would be paid off and then they'd have year after year after year of driving with a vehicle that is paid off. It's not truly driving for free, but at least you're not having to pay a monthly payment every month. It's sitting there just waiting to hit you right in the wallet every 30 days. But because... We're taking out these longer loans. So many other things are happening. We're upside down in the vehicles forever, meaning we owe more on it than what it's worth. And so you're painting yourself into a corner and creating financial anxiety where it doesn't need to be there. And on top of it, the interest rates on auto loans has been rising. Even as mortgage rates have been falling recently, the vehicle loan rates have been rising. You know why? Okay, this is weird, but the marketplace signals because people have been taking out these longer loans, more people are defaulting on their loans, and more vehicles are being repossessed, creating more risk for the lenders, and then they want higher rates. So the whole thing is a vicious negative circle if you get on that hamster wheel. So think it through. And remember the rule. If you keep your loan term shorter than 42 months, 42 months or longer or shorter, you're not going to be burned by that vehicle loan. You'll have years of driving where you own a vehicle free and clear. And almost certainly that forces you to buy used instead of new. And if you follow another rule, almost nobody does this one the way that's best for your wallet. Always, always, always get pre-approved for financing from a credit union before you go shopping for a vehicle. And a credit union, not a bank. Because credit unions write vehicle loans, new and used, at much lower interest rates than banks do. And much, 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 much lower interest rates than car dealers do. It's your money. It's your choice. Almost everybody gets to a dealership, gets excited about a newer used vehicle, and then tries to figure out the financing. Backwards, backwards, backwards. 
Greg is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Greg. Hi, how are you today? Great, thank you, Greg. You want to talk about fixing up your home. What are you doing to it? Well, it's a, it's a pretty big home improvement project. It's about a 100-year-old house, and I'm uh, uh, going to add a master bedroom to it and uh, convert a carriage house into an apartment, and then there's lots of infrastructure. Oh, my goodness. Cooling. You're basically building a new house grafted on a 100-year-old one, huh? Yeah, uh-huh. That's pretty much it. Wow. So I wanted to talk about financing. So that project, is that going to be a six-figure project, it's sounding like? Oh, oh, yeah. It could be as much as 200 k I don't have pricing back yet, but anywhere between 150 and 200 It's going to add about 1,100 square feet to the property. Okay. And I just want to ask you, because not everything is about return on investment, but will your neighborhood support that home in the future when you go to sell it based on what you have in it and what you'll be putting in it? Uh, pretty much, yeah. It's an old historic neighborhood. Oh, great. Okay. There's lots of other properties around that have the same type of detached carriage house. That sure. And converted into an apartment and, and around the same square footage. And if it's a neighborhood of historic homes that is really in as a neighborhood, people do these additions and renovations continually. I mean, that's a common thing. Yeah. So uh, as far as how to finance it, tell me about the mortgage you have on the property right now. Well, I, I don't. I own it outright right now. That's fantastic. So the best way to do this, if you're going to have to borrow for it, depends on how long it'll take you to pay off roughly $200,000. What are you guessing? <laughs> uh, I, I should have done a spreadsheet before I called you. Um, well, I'm thinking 10 years. Uh, I'll be able to get a tenant in the apartment, and I live alone, so I usually have a roommate anyway. So I'll have about $1,000 a month in rental income. Okay, so the, the, reason, I, the reason I ask that is you are a perfect candidate for a product that is generally only a credit union product, which is where you take out a 10-year fixed-rate mortgage. And in your case, it would be a cash out to pay for the construction. And because credit unions usually hold loans, what's known as in-portfolio, in-house, mm -hmm. you're not going to be penalized like you would be typically with a bank for doing such a large cash out on a property. Yeah. Now, the current value of the home before you do these things is how much, would you guess? Uh, it's about 220 to 250K. Okay, so whether you can borrow that much, because the easiest answer of all is if you can do a cash out, then you could get a very low fixed rate on a 10-year loan, so you have a very low carry cost, and you're going to need to work with a loan committee or the loan officer at a credit union who will be willing to be involved in a project like this where the equity will be a little thin as you start construction, but will become quite large as you complete. Y yeah. Um. Now, let me give you the alternative if you have trouble getting someone to cooperate on doing this. Mm -hmm. The alternative is for you to do, again, with a credit union, because you're just going to get a better deal than you're going to get with a bank on something like this. You would do a uh, home improvement or construction loan. There would be temporary money at a floating rate. And then once the job is complete, 
then you convert to a 10-year fixed-rate mortgage. So you have two closings you have to pay for, but you've come up with the money. Yeah, I had already thought about the second method, and the reason I thought about that was with a line of credit, I'm not paying interest the moment the loan is is closed. I'm only paying once I use the money, and the construction project will typically have progress payments. Exactly, and that's why if you can't do the first, because the cash out is the one I feel best about, because you're only going through one real estate closing, your carry is at a very low interest rate, you don't have to worry about a conversion later, but if you can't do that, the construction or some form of construction or home improvement to conversion later to a fix permanent is the best way for you to get it done. Judy joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Judy. Hi, Clark. Thank you for taking my call. Sure, Judy. I remember there was an airline I used to fly that before the airline went away that used to do these prizes on board. And one question I remember they asked on the plane once is who had the most credit cards? And I think if you had been on the flights with me, you would have won every time. Well, it's taken like 46 years to acquire all of these. <laughs> How many do you have? Um, 38 or 40. That's a lot of I mean, credit cards. Yes. How many of those 38 or 40 have annual fees? None. Oh. Well, you know it could actually be helping you that you have more than three dozen credit cards? What's that? It helps in two ways. One is that it gives wide breadth to your credit report in terms of credit history. The cards you have, how many years you've had them, and all that is to your advantage. The second is that you potentially, if you're not running up a lot of charges on your cards, having so many boosts your credit score because you're using so little of your available credit. And that was actually my question was how could I close them because I wanted to I wanted to better my credit score. Do you know what it your score like is right now? It's 805 or something like that, 817. Yeah, so you'll drop your score if you start closing accounts. <sighs> okay. Just leave them be. How many of the 36 them. or 40 or whatever number you said, how many do you actually use? Maybe four. Oh, that's fine. Just leave the others sitting in a drawer in your house gathering dust. And you're going to be in great shape. I mean, you you break 800 and you're what the industry calls golden. Oh, good. So you can't have much better credit than you have. And just leave it alone. Keep paying those bills on time and you will maintain golden credit status. Brian's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Brian. Hey there. Brian, you are in our Clark Hall of Fame for driving a car that is how old? 17 years old. 17. You know, do you know how many years it takes to get in the Clark Car Hall of Fame? I'd say at least 10. 15. Oh, okay. Because, <laughs> see, 10 is what I really want people to strive for. The average car in the United States is now over 11 years old. But wow. you start hitting 15. I mean, that's a teenager. And we know how teenagers can be. Yeah. And so if you get a car into the teen years and you endure with that, you make Hall of Fame status. 
<laughs> well, thank you. So 17 years old, what do you have that's worked for you for 17 model years? I actually have a Toyota Tundra. Huh. And does it still seem like it's going to run for you for a while longer? Yeah, yeah. I actually, my grandpa, he bought the truck about seven years ago and owned it for about five. And then I bought it off of him when he bought a new truck. And uh, so it was always a goal of mine to own a truck that he's once owned. And uh, now the truck is 17. Next year will be 18. That's very impressive. How can I be of service to you with that truck? Well, I'm trying to decide if I should still have the full coverage and insurance on this truck. Almost um, certainly not. I mean, the odds are very heavy that all you want is liability. Okay. Because even though it's still working fine for you and still maybe has years to run, at this point as a 17-year-old vehicle, the value that would have that an insurer would assign to it is low enough that you're best off just being your own insurance company. And if it does end up in an accident or whatever, you got nothing to show. I mean, that's it. But if you're in an accident, it's your fault. You have the liability coverage to protect you. Okay. So I'm just curious. Any idea what a 17-year-old Tundra would be worth? Um, when I've looked it up online for a private sale, it will range between five and seven grand. No, it won't. Um, yeah, yeah. 17 years old? Yes, and I think it's because of the brand. The miles are low enough. It has a... Well, then I got to tell you, well, the answer I gave you is not necessarily accurate. I wasn't thinking it would be worth anywhere more than maybe $1,000 or so. If it's really worth five to 7000 that's what your insurer would think it was worth, then you might consider continuing to have full coverage. I'm shocked. Eddie is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Eddie. How are you? Hello, Clark. Thank you for the time. Certainly, Eddie. You are a saver at work, and I'm happy to hear that. Thank you. I try to save. I want to retire and be happy. Very good. So how can I be of service when you're already doing the most important part of it, you're saving money? Well, Clark, so this is a new job that I got with a nonprofit organization. Prior, I worked with a university where we had a 403B plant through TiaCraft. But my new company has American funds as a 403B. Is it worth it to invest the match? They give a 4% here. Yeah, American funds is a good company. They offer a good variety of funds that are very well respected. They are a moderate cost fund house. But if you at least put into the plan at the nonprofit up to where you grab all the match money, that would be where you'd want to start. And then the priority from there would come setting up your own Roth IRA that you could fund outside of what your employer does and so you'd have the money you're putting into the employer plan grabbing all the match and then everything else you do do in one of the low-cost choices like on my investment guide in the Roth IRA how much money are you in a position to save each year well right now I'm trying to get to the match I'm probably going to stick to that for a while while I'm finishing off paying loans 
Okay, that's great. And you'll pick up all the match money. Correct. Yeah, so you're doing a great thing. And just keep doing that. Once you've paid off those debts, then I'd like you to look at doing the Roth IRA. Should I roll over my money from my previous employer? Definitely not. You want to leave that money where it is and let it continue to do its thing in the old employer account. Great. That's good to know. And continued success paying down those debts and saving money. And I'm excited that you're picking up the employer match and popping money in for retirement at the same time as you're working to get rid of your debts. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. ClarkDeals.com is where we post deals for you around the clock, every day of the year, except Christmas Day. Isn't that great? We only work 364 days a year. Next year, we'll work 365 out of 366. Leap year, you know. So the years kind of get away from us. And what I want to talk about is not about a guilt trip, because there's enough of that anyway. How many different places, how many different stories are there about how Americans need to save more money for retirement? You hear me talk about it. So I do the guilt trip and all that. But I want to talk about something that you just really need to be aware of, and that is, if you're younger, you won't appreciate this, but in places of employment, there's a lot of discrimination against people once they've hit age 50, and it's supposed to be illegal. Well, I guess it is illegal, but it's not enforced generally, and so a lot of employers really take an axe to people when they're past age 50. And so it becomes harder for many people once that happens to find something that pays as well as what happened before the age discrimination thing cycles into their lives. So it means that you're going to have less money coming in and may have a lifestyle that is more expensive. It really is why it's not about a guilt trip, but more about just the way life happens, that the more you can put money aside each month, and particularly each pay period, to cover ultimately when you retire, to cover rainy day, but especially, it's something that I think you need to do a reality check about what employers do to people once they are 50 plus. And it's just the way it is. And when you're looking for a new job, if they break the law and get rid of you just because you're over 50, when you go out to interview, there are a lot of employers who may give you an interview, but they're not going to make a, a job offer for a great offer to you because you are over 50 or they've sized you up as being over 50. So it's just what goes on. Employers are really stupid about doing this because the virtue of having people with experience is fantastic. Fantastic. 
And so employers that do this are being short-sighted and hurting their own businesses. But that didn't help you anymore. So I encourage you, because listen to this stat that was put out by a research group at Boston College. Four in 10 people ended up working less than they expected as they got older. And it wasn't by their choice that employers downsized them, right-sized them, whatever term you want, and they might not be in a position yet for those finances to handle that. And that's why you need to remember that from when you hit that 50th birthday, you may be on thinner ice in the job market, and you got to be financially prepared for that. Leo is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Leo. Hi, Howard. It's a great pleasure to talk to you. Well, great to have you here. And you are a landlord, is that right? No, actually, I assisted some friends to buy houses in Orlando. And oh, okay. They like my service. I work with taxes and money remittances, and they trust a lot on, on, on my services. And they said, after we buy the houses, we want you to manage those houses. And I thought it would be easy, but uh, after I saw there is more than a dozen of, of houses, I took it really serious because I'm charging a fee. So after I made more, more than $600, I thought that would be a business. And I started thinking to make it serious, have a website, have a, a proper manager system, and pay the taxes, everything, like a, set up a kind of a, a proper managed business. Wow. And... Because I, I think it's a big responsibility. We are moving some, some tenants. I read about the tenants' insurance and the renters' insurance, actually. And I thought it would be a great idea to have all the tenants, like a requirement to them to rent. To own renters' insurance, the, yeah. The renters' insurance. So, Leo, you're right. And a lot of the big apartment management companies now require that their tenants have renters' insurance and either supply proof that they own a renter's insurance policy or that they have to buy it from the apartment management company. If you're managing, you said, 12 properties? Uh, let me a little bit more than that. Oh, okay. So for you to be in the business of selling renter's insurance, I don't know how easy that would be for you, but I think in your leases requiring that tenants buy and maintain a renter's insurance policy is a smart move on your part because tenants think anything that goes wrong at the place you're responsible for and that's not how it works you know the tenant stuff gets stolen or there's a fire or stuff gets damaged by you know a busted pipe or whatever with water damage that's all on the tenant not on you as the landlord or management company. Yes, and I, we thought about like requiring proof that they have this insurance, or we're going to be able to connect them with, with our insurance company that they can buy it. At this point, I don't think you want to get involved in saying, go see this person and buy the policy, but tell them that whoever they get their automobile insurance from can direct them to someone to buy renter's insurance. Most automobile insurers also do homeowner's insurance, and in addition to that, they would almost certainly have 
renter's insurance they sell or someone they could refer a potential tenant to. And the insurance is cheap, and it provides such important protection for your tenants. Yes, that's what I, I saw, and that's what I, makes me interested in, in buying this insurance. Yeah, I think it's really, really great. And as you de- develop a larger and larger portfolio, I guess the time will come where you could be in the business of requiring people to buy policies from you if they haven't supplied their own. But I always think in business, you crawl before you walk and walk before you run. So I would start with just requiring people to provide proof that they had purchased renter's insurance. And remember, it's for their benefit, not yours. And then as you get larger, then maybe you do start offering it as a default choice if people don't supply their own. And continued success to you as a property manager. Maggie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Maggie. Hi, Clark. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good. So, Maggie, you hear me talk about how great it is to do an online bank, and you're worried that I've missed something. Yes. I'm just concerned about, you know, my savings. You're going to set up an online account, and then your money is going to disappear into the ether, never to be seen again. Exactly. I understand the fear and concern, and, you know, with how reliant banks, credit unions, brokerages, everybody is on the databases, on the computer systems, that's actually something that is a low-level worry, I think, should be for all of us. But there's nothing about an online bank that makes it any less secure than being with a traditional bank or credit union. What are you worried will happen? I'm not exactly sure, but I know about the phishing scams that are out there. And if for some reason someone gets the password, I mean, I know it's kind of easy to wipe out a checking account and there's no reimbursement on some banks. Well, actually, any FDIC-insured bank must by law, if you're a consumer and your account suffers fraud and it's hacked, they have to restore your funds. That the responsibility of the bank is to you and it is their duty to have the security in place that prevents hacks. Let's say you put in an online bank $10,000 and... It's time now to use some of that money for whatever purpose, and you go there and the money's just gone. Poof. The bank has the legal responsibility and liability to restore your funds. Excellent. And that's the same for checking and savings online? It is. For a physical bank, online bank, you have one responsibility, and that is you are given 60 days to notice that your money has disappeared. So with online access or having the app of any bank or credit union, just checking your statements, you will easily always be within that 60-day window. But the sooner you notice, the obviously the better. And, you know, I'm pretty worried about the possibility of bad actors getting into people's accounts. So I check... My accounts, I don't have a bank account, I have a credit union account, and then I have the equivalent of a checking account at a brokerage. 
I check my accounts and my investments every single week. Because right, so that's the best way to keep up on it. Whether it's a physical institution you have money with or an online, I would say that it's really important to check routinely that everything is just A-OK. Fantastic. That makes me feel a lot safer. Thank you so much. And I would say that's the difference between being careful and being paranoid and feeling powerless. There's too much potential right now with all the publicity of all the hacks to get to a point where you just feel like, gosh, what can I do? And I would say taking the weekly step of checking your stuff, however you have it, Maggie, is how I would feel peace of mind. Gil is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Gil. Hey, hi, Howard. How are you doing, sir? Great, thank you. You were helping your son with student loans, is that right? That's correct. Yes, What's sir. going on with his loans? How much does he have? Oh, man, it's over $100,000, uh, the balance, and uh, the interest rate is 7.9%, which we believe is pretty high. 7.9%? Yes, sir. Wow. And so, these, I guess these aren't federal unless they're older that they're that high. Yeah, this is like third-party company for the oh. Department of Education. So. Oh, okay. So your son is just drowning in that debt, isn't he? Yeah, he already graduated and everything, and he's already working. Uh, we're actually, you know, paying this thing off, but uh, we wanted to, you know, kind of save a lot of money in the interest rate of it. And so are you on the hook for these as well? Did you co-sign these, or are they just in his name? No, actually, it's on my wife's name. Oh, okay. So your wife faces an equivalent equal burden with your son for these Definitely. loans. And so have you considered refining those loans? That's exactly what we would like to do. And uh, I would like to know, you know, which, which company will be the best based on your knowledge of this uh, particular area. The fastest growing is SoFi, S-O-F-I dot com. Okay. SoFi has from great rates to mediocre rates. And okay. if with uh, her credit you qualify, the rates can be even at or below 4% fixed wow. rate. So if you do qualify for their lower rates, I think of that. I mean, that would be a massive savings over the years definitely yeah it's like i mean maybe uh saving half of the interest rate exactly exactly and it means that every monthly payment much more of the money is going to principal than interest at a rate of uh roughly eight percent i would start with sofi a lot of the people that mail you offers the offers never pan out and sofi will give a quick answer on what they're willing to do and what interest rate they're willing to charge. And as much as you can get it down, go for it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Ask Clark. Producer Joel asks a question that you have posted for me on Clark.com. Clark Maria wants to know, I have had Amica car insurance for 10 years now. I've never had a claim and I have a perfect driving record. But I hear companies are giving rewards and discounts for safe driving. My rates have never gone down. Is it time for me to look for another insurance company? Well, you know, the deal with Amica is it's a mutual. You own the place. And you know that check you get each year when Amica has lower claims than what they've anticipated? That's the way it works, is that you're all in it together, and that's something that you're not going to generally see from an auto insurer. So that's why I would say that Amica, what it's really there for is when your great driving has a bump in the road, and you end up in an accident or whatever. That's why Amica is so wonderful, is when something does go wrong, they're just about the best there is. All right, Tom wants to know, your expertise, Clark, what's the best deal to get on men's razor blades? (laughs) Well, we did this test through our extended staff on radio, TV, and the web, and we tried this razor that people keep raving about that sold at Dollar Tree, that's two for two for a dollar, fifty cents each. It's like a five blade razor. I didn't like it that much. I gave it a B, but overwhelmingly with the crew, they gave it an A. So fifty cents a razor that can last you months and months. That sounds like a deal to me. Carolyn has a question. She says, "What websites are best for finding rental homes for a vacation?" So when you're traveling somewhere. The market is dominated by Airbnb, and Airbnb dominates for a specific reason. People are not getting burned on Airbnb by having their money stolen in a con, and that has been a problem with other home rental services. Now, it doesn't mean that the quality of the property is going to be great, but in addition, the the oldest player in it is VRBO more recent home away, and they're the same common ownership now. With either of those, make sure you pay in a way that is secure through their their portal and not pay direct to somebody, particularly by wire. You're likely going to get conned. This is the Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.